But I'm from California. There's a, a Bible college out there called Calvary Chapel Bible College. I've been there for eight years. I teach there. Um, really enjoy uh, what the Lord is doing there, but I'm so excited about what God's doing here in your youth group. I grew up on the East Coast, and so I, I've been to Virginia a few times. Um, so tonight we're going to start this series of messages where we're going to just try and get to know God better. We want to know God better. We want to know his ways better because he's so worthy, right? I mean, the more you get to know God, the more you're going to love him. You're, you're going to fall in love with him. You're going to start seeing his ways as better than your ways. And you're going to want to submit yourself to his ways. And so we're going to be talking about that the next couple of days. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be jumping all over the place tonight. But the verse I really want you to focus on is in Matthew chapter 6. And so tonight we're going to be talking about knowing God's will, right? If God is good, which he is, and if God is all-powerful, then don't you want to know his good and powerful plan for your life, right? And, and we, we call this God's will, right? And sometimes we're like, God, what is your will for my life? What's your will for my life? What do you want from me? Sometimes you're faced with big decisions and you think, I need to get this right. Like, this is a big moment. What if I choose the wrong way here? And we want to make sure that we are choosing according to God's will. And so life's full of all kinds of decisions. There's, there's small decisions, right? Like, should I buy a winter jacket just for one retreat on the East Coast? No, just going to wear a couple of hoodies, even if it looks a little ridiculous, right? Little decisions, right? Small, small things like, should I try that pudding or not? Right? How many of you tried the pudding tonight? Right? Yeah, that was a good decision. That was a good job. You're already making good decisions this weekend, right? There's small decisions, but then there's really big decisions. Who am I going to marry? That's right. This weekend, you're going to find out. No, but... <laughs> Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do for a living to make money, right? And where am I going to live? Those are massive decisions. Those are huge decisions. And those are the kind of things you want to bring before the Lord and say, God, what is your will? And we bring it before the Lord because we've all made bad decisions. Anyone ever make a, a bad decision? I make bad decisions, right? I've, I've made lots of bad decisions in life and they hurt. Bad decisions are terrible, right? And so we want to look at the most effective ways of looking at God's will so that we can know what he wants us to do. Now, there's a typical way that people think about God's will, and it's this. You think, I've got these two options. One of them is right, and God wants me to take one of them, but I can choose, and I don't know which one is right. What if I choose the wrong decision, and I just go down a horrible path? It's like a choose-your-own-adventure novel is what we think. I'm re- my, I have an eight-year-old, six-year-old, and a three-year-old, so I've been reading a couple choose-your-own-adventure novels to my, to my eight-year-old. And those things are terrifying. You're just in the middle of the forest, and then all of a sudden you as a reader have a chance to choose, and it's like, hey, turn to page 46 if you want to just keep going on the path. Turn to page 97 if you want to make a right at the rock. And you're like, doesn't seem like a big deal. I'm going to make a right at the rock. Two pages later, you're in a volcano, and you're dead. That's what happens. You're like, what's it? And then you're like, I don't even know if you're allowed to go back and reread and try things differently, but this book ended in a couple seconds and we returned it to the library. We were dead in a volcano. Sometimes we think that's life's decisions. What if I choose wrong? I know what it's like to be in high school and to think, I'll never love again. This girl didn't like me and I thought I was going to marry her. I'll never love again. 
well, thank God I got over my little pity party and loved again because I have a beautiful wife and three kids right now. But I thought I would never love again, and I made, I made a choice, and it wasn't going to work out that way. Listen, we try and discern God's will so many different ways. Now, Christians try a couple of very interesting ways to figure out what God wants them to do. There's a few of these that aren't really that effective. Sometimes we'll say, well, I've got to be a Christian about this decision, so I'm just going to open my Bible to a random page, point at a verse, and that will help me. Is Come on. you got to imagine there's some angels up there being like, these guys are idiots. Why do they think we gave them a Bible with, like, chapter numbers and everything? Why would you just point at something like that? That isn't... Now, if that helped you once, it's only because God is merciful, not because you're wise. All right? God is merciful, so maybe he helped you once, but don't do that again. Sometimes we read into the Bible whatever we want. So we're trying to make a big decision, and we look in every verse to see if we see an answer. And, and that's not the right way to be reading through the Bible. Sometimes we do this. We do, this happens a lot at Bible college. I'll hear students say, Lord, if it's not your will that I should marry this person, then take the desire out of my heart. You're like, wait a second. You're like bullying God into having to do something or else you're going to marry this person? Like, that's pretty confident that you can control God with that. And first of all, our hearts are wicked and deceitful. So if you have a desire, there's no way to say that that is a good desire, right? But we say this. But then we're like, no, no, I know, I know the Bible. I'm going to do what Gideon did. I named one of my kids Gideon, so I can say this, right? In Judges chapter 6, he put out a fleece, right? He put out like a hoodie on the ground. And he said, God, if you really want me to lead this army, then in the morning make all the ground wet and my hoodie dry. And it happened. And he's like, all right, that was pretty cool, but let's just see if that was a coincidence. God, if you really want me to lead this army, then make my hoodie wet the next morning and all the ground dry. And it happened, and he's like, oh, man. Now, here's the thing. So we sometimes, we want to put out a fleece. We're like, Lord, if you want me, this is probably what happened on Friday morning, right? Lord, if you want me to give her, you know, this note, these flowers, right on Friday, then help me to see her. Well, you're standing outside of her locker all day. It's going to happen, right? It's not, God, it's not that God's doing something. Listen, in the Bible, when they put out a fleece, it was impossible every single time that it happened. Sometimes when we put out a fleece and we're like, Lord, if this is your will, allow this to happen, it's very probable that it would happen. Now, God can work in those ways, but it doesn't mean that's the best way to figure it out. Sometimes we say, if I have a peace in my heart, then this must be God's will. And we get that from a verse in Colossians 3.15 where it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And we say, oh, that word rules like umpire. The peace of God will tell us if this decision is like safe or out. But that verse has nothing to do with decision making. It has to do with peace as in we should be in harmony with people around us instead of fighting. And we don't even see this lived out in the Bible. Jesus didn't seem like he had peace when he was directly in his father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, saying, God, is there any other way? Is there another way? That didn't look very peaceful. Or Jonah, he looked really peaceful when he was laying in the bottom of a ship asleep, heading in the opposite direction of God's will. That looked peaceful, but that wasn't God's will. And so these are some ways we try and figure it out. Perhaps the least effective way to figure out what God wants you to do in life is to ask him for a personal message directly to you outside of the Bible. All right, so it's special revelation. This happened to my poor wife, Shannon, before she was my poor wife. We're poor. Um, and so she was just living her life in California, and this, this guy says, hey, would you like to get a coffee? She goes, sure, I'll go get a coffee, my friend. No big deal. She shows up at the Starbucks, and the guy says, listen, God told me, clear as anything, that I am to marry you. 
So we just got to like figure out the details and stuff. And she's like, whoa, well, I assume you're buying the coffee, first of all, right? If this is your commitment. She says, God did not tell me that. And so this is the end of our awkward friendship, right? Now, she disobeyed God's voice and she didn't marry that boy. And so she's living in sin with me, right? She disobeyed God. She married me instead. Uh, the poor thing, she's a sinner. Pray for her. Listen, that, that, that guy was convinced. He actually thinks my wife like just rejected God's will for her life and, and chose to marry me. But I was much taller than him. And, you know, I mean, he couldn't reach half the things on the top shelf that I can reach for her. Right. So she chose. She chose wisely, I think. Listen, in the Bible, listen, in the Bible, when we see God's special revelation, you know, it's almost always connected to the gospel getting out in new ways. Right, so you see Philip, he's walking around, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gives him special revelation and says, hey, just go into the desert. He's like, that's kind of random, I'm doing good ministry, but he goes into the desert and he finds the Ethiopian eunuch and the guy's reading Isaiah and, and he's asking questions about the Messiah and it's because God is desiring to get the word of God out in new ways. And so th- those are times where maybe we'll experience God's special revelation in life is when we're trying to evangelize and share our faith with others you know, God may say, okay, here's what I want you to say. So feelings and thoughts are important, but we ought not to label such experiences as the inerrant word of God. The word of God is inerrant, not our thoughts that we have at times, right? And so what does the Bible say about determining God's specific will for your life, all right? If you're taking notes, write this down. This is how you figure out God's will for your life according to what the Bible, here's what the Bible says, nothing, Nothing. Oh, man. It's a good thing your pen wasn't working anyway, right? Nothing. Listen, there's no step-by-step process for determining God's specific will for your life. Here's what the Bible says, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. Moses is saying there, you know, God is allowed to have secrets. God is allowed to know our future without telling us that future, but there are things that he has already revealed to us, and we need to obey those things. So we obsess over this very unique decision about the direction of our life, but there's really clear guidelines that he's given us about how to live our life. We need to do those things that are clear that he's already given to us. But there is a great principle in the scriptures that we should be looking at, and it's in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 25, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount says this. He says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Well, that's a decision. What shall we drink? A decision. Or what shall we wear? Another decision. Here's what he says about that. The Gentiles seek after these things. It's as if Jesus is saying the three big decisions that people are always trying to make about like provision and and food and, and money and all those things. He's like, that's stuff that people that don't even believe in God worry about. You believe in God. Why are you worrying about those things? He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things are going to be added to you. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The principle is that we need to seek first God's kingdom. So we've got all these questions. God, what should I do? What decision should I make? And his answer to us is, seek first the kingdom of God. Like, yeah, yeah, that's great, but just tell me what to do here. Seek first the kingdom of God. Is our life about God's kingdom? I know that's that's a big ask, 
for, for high school students. I know it's a big ask to say, uh, you have to seek first God's kingdom every single day. I know how distracted I was in high school. I knew, I knew the things that I thought were cool and what I was pursuing. And, and even though I was, I was raised in a Christian home, I wasn't thinking about seeking first God's kingdom. But you know where that led me? That lifestyle led me to misery. Misery. I thought, oh, I can't wait to get out of this Christian home so I can go to college and really have some fun. And so I did. I went to New York University in the middle of Manhattan. And that night, my first night of college, I had my first sip of alcohol, started getting drunk, started partying, thought, wow, now I'm really being cool. Now I'm really having fun. And it was the most miserable year and a half of my life because I knew that God had a better plan for my life than just wasting it away. You know, and if my experiment isn't enough for you, you think about Solomon in the scriptures. He had more resources, money than anyone else, and he tried, right? He tried to find satisfaction away from God, and it wasn't there. We need to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things are going to be added to us, right? We can leave knowing what's next to God, leave it to him. So I'm not saying that God doesn't guide us or speak to us. I'm saying he does guide us and speak to us as we seek first his kingdom. What are we left with? We still have to make a decision. Well, we can make a wise decision. We've got this big book, right? We've got this thick book that contains so much wisdom, and we can use what God has already revealed to us to make good decisions. Making a good decision is directly connected to God's will for your life. Listen to how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right? There's a connection to understanding what the will of the Lord is with making wise decisions. So as we're making wise decisions, we're going to be in God's will. So, if you really want to make, for the big decisions in life, you know, there's some good principles in the scriptures we can think through as we're making those decisions. So I'm going to give you six questions that you can ask yourself when you're trying to make a big decision in life. Please do not ask these questions when you're trying to figure out, like, what type of toothpaste to buy, if you should have a soda or iced tea. Don't do that. Don't, don't ask in those kinds of situations. But if you've got a big decision in front of you, you know, you're thinking, oh, should, should I do this? Should I go there? These are great questions that you can ask, and they've already been revealed to us, and so we honor God by using his word in this way. Here's the first question. Is your decision within the boundaries of God? Is your decision within the boundaries of God? If God speaks clearly in the Bible about what you're thinking about, then you've got your answer, right? If what you're trying to do violates God's laws, and he's not all about that, then obviously you can't do it right? But if he speaks clearly, you have your answer. It reminds me of Psalm 119.105, which tells us that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You picture a traveler going through the forest, the forest that you're not allowed in, right, Tyler? You're not allowed in the forest, but you picture, you picture a traveler going through the forest and it's dark. And if he didn't have a light, He'd be all over the place, right? The light shows him, oh, I've got to step over that log. Oh, I need to not fall into that ditch. Oh, that's a bear about to eat me, right? The light is what shows him what is what's in, in front of him. And God's word acts like that. We can hold up God's word to the things that we're making decisions about in our lives and see what it says about that. I, would, I think God's going to honor you if you do this. You're making a big decision. And you just say, let me just pause and try and find a few verses that speak about this 
That's, that's the kind of thing that God's going to honor. He's going to guide you if you're willing to lift him up and his word up like that. Second question you can ask is this. Have you prayed about your decision? Right? How do we expect God to bless a decision that we don't even ask him about? We don't even talk to him about. Have you prayed about your decision? In James, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him, and ask in faith with no doubting. We need to talk to God about this. Sometimes we've got these big decisions in life because the Lord wants us to talk to him, right? We need to show that we are dependent on God by, by bringing these things before him. I'm the, I'm the director of the Bible college, so I, I manage the staff, I hire the staff, I fire the staff, I set our budget, you know, pick our classes and everything. I remember one time somebody came to my office and they're like, we should hire this guy. And I'm like, that guy's amazing, hire him. I was so excited, I'm like, that's awesome. And I went home and Gideon was two years old at the time and I was praying with Gideon before he was going to sleep. And it's like two-year-old prayer, so it's like, God, help not to have a nightmare and help him not to poop his pants, right? There's, so this is a very consistent prayers around two years old. And so I'm saying that to him, and all of a sudden I feel like the Holy Spirit just reminds me, he goes, you didn't even pray about hiring that person, and they're going to be influencing hundreds of students at the Bible college. I'm like, oh, no, I'm in trouble, right? I made a bad decision. I didn't even pray about my main job in ministry to hire the staff, right? So I, I'm literally talking to Gideon, and I'm like, Gideon, hold on a second. And I have to start praying out loud to God. I'm like, Gideon, you're not going to understand this. And I start apologizing to God and asking him for clarity. And, and then I went back to praying about poop again with Gideon. It was confusing for him, but it was the right thing for me to do. We need to pray about these decisions. Pause and be willing for the Lord to speak to us as we're praying. Third question is this. Will this decision bring God glory? We talked about this during worship already, right? Will this decision bring God glory. We need to know our purpose in life if we're going to make any kind of decisions, right? Why were we created? Why, why did God create us? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we were created to bring God glory. Anytime we're making decisions that will dishonor God and disobey him and not bring him glory, that's going to dissatisfy us. We're going to feel empty, and it's going to feel like we're wrong because we're going against the God of the universe. We were created to bring God glory. Knowing this is our goal helps, right? So, you, you know, I don't, no one knows how to get anywhere anymore because of a GPS on your phone, right? So when I'm going to the airport and I type in from where I live in Murrieta to go to Los Angeles airport, there's usually like three different lines that come up. It'll highlight the line that's the fastest, and then there's a couple other lines that I can click on them and it says, oh, same amount of time or five minutes more, 10 minutes more. This one doesn't use a toll road. I can click on any of those, get to the airport and come to the Virginia, and it probably wouldn't have made too much of a difference because my end destination was the same no matter which road I took. I think that's a good way to think about life. You don't have to know, am I supposed to be a fireman or a policeman? You know, I, I, those are two very different things. If your goal in life is to give God glory, there's a lot of ways to do that. If that's the final destination of your life. Now, th this is all from the good book. This is all from the Holy Bible. But there's another reliable source out there that I want to give you some information from. Alice in Wonderland. In Alice in Wonderland, Alice comes to cross the crossroads, doesn't know which road to take, and the Cheshire cat, I, I, am I saying Cheshire right? It seems like Cheshire, Cheshire, Cheshire. The Cheshire cat says, 
hold on, I have to restart the whole thing because now I'm just talking stupid. Alice in Wonderland, she comes to a crossroads. The Cheshire cat says, where are you going? She says, I don't know. And so he replies, well, if you don't know where you're going, then any road will do nicely. Think about it. If you don't know where you're going, then just wander around. It doesn't really matter which road you take because you're not heading towards a destination. And so know if your decision is going to bring God glory or not and factor that into it. Fourth question you can ask is this. Does this decision cause me to love others? Right? Is this decision going to help me show God's love to other people? That's what he wants us to do. And for things that are not clearly dealt with in the Bible, we call them gray areas. We're like, I don't know what the Bible says about this. We can decide on the basis of love. Right? Is this going to show people they have a God that loves them and make that decision? So Philippians 2.3 says this, says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. All right. Are you guys in rooms with bunk beds? You must be. We're at a camp, right? So here's how we can practically apply this, right? In Philippians, it says that we should put other people's interests above our own, right? So boom, the door opens to the cabin. You happen to be front in line. There's a whole stampede behind you. You're going to die if you don't get out of the way and choose a bunk bed. What do you do? Mostly, people are sprinting to all the bottom bunks, aren't they? And the last person that gets in, trips over their shoelaces, all bloody comes in, and there's just one top bunk left, and they climb to the top bunk, and they're miserable for the whole weekend, right? Or you're just a horrible person, and you want to be on the top bunk just squeaking all night, bothering everyone. Every little moment is a squeak, and you're like, and everyone else is like, oh, you know, I just can't, I can't stand it, you know, the squeaking. Listen, we need to actually be applying this kind of stuff. We don't have to be the, <laughs> we don't have to be the first to get into a food line. I actually wasn't planning on bringing this up, Cole. Sorry. It actually just happened just now. We don't have to be the first to get into a food line, right? And so when all of a sudden Tyler's like, amen, you don't have to just all, you teleported to the front of the food line. It was amazing. You're like, God is with me. This is the spirit, right? You can actually sit down because you love others so much that you're like, I want to be first. I'm assuming they want to be first. I'm going to let them go first. And and see what happens. So I had a moment like that tonight where I was, I, I mean, I did pretty good. I let a lot, I let the students go first, and then there's a few leaders ahead of me, and I, you know, I, wasn't, the, I wasn't the last person, but I, I was doing pretty holy. <laughs> Towards the end of holiness, you know, like not full holiness, I got room to grow, but so I'm there, I choose my side, I think I chose the right side, it was faster, and I'm about to start getting the meat, the meat is going, like it's going away. It was like a swamp, there, was, I had to, like, there wasn't a lot of meat in there by the end of it, so I'm thinking, ah, oh, man, I hope they replace this meat. But I'm like, nah, but yeah, I can probably scrounge up a lot of meat and the person across from me just won't get a lot, right? So I start reaching all the way over to the other side and pulling all the meat to my side and, and heaping it all up. I turn and look and see people around me and I'm like, that's okay, you know, they'll be fine. And I get a decent amount of meat on my plate. As soon as I move on to the taters, what happens? They put a huge, beautiful container of meat out, and the selfish person just got the last couple scraps, and everyone that was a bit more patient got the amazing meat. Listen, we don't have to be led by our flesh. We don't have to. We can show other people love, and nobody else even needs to know about it. You don't need to sit there at the table and say, I'm going last to show love to the other students just like Jesus Christ would, right? Like, yeah, no, you know, we, we get it, yeah. You don't even have to talk about it. You can keep it a secret just with God where he knows why you're going last. 
We're trying to work on ourselves. So do it based on love. Fifth question you can ask is this. This is an important one. Are you overemphasizing a coincidence? Sometimes when we're making a decision, all of a sudden there's all these things happening and we're like, man, that's a sign. This is a sign. It could be. I'm just asking, are you overemphasizing a coincidence? I don't know why Christians do this, but every time a Christian gets a flat tire, they say, man, I got a flat tire. God was probably protecting me from a horrible car accident down the road. That's why I got this flat tire. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of insight into what, wow. Thank, yes, thank God. He saved you from this accident, hypothetical accident, right? We always think if something bad or inconvenient happens to us, then it's got to be for this reason. Here's how this happened to somebody. Again, this is, uh, wasn't as dramatic for my wife, but it happened with her at her church in California. There was a sweet family that was trying to pray. They're, they're making a big decision like this, and they're saying, God, do you want us to leave our church and follow the youth pastor to, to Texas as he plants a church with his family? Should we be a supporting family? Leave everything we know and be like pioneer church planners, right? That's a big decision. You know, kids are in high school and everything, trying to figure that out. And so the parents are, they're praying about it. They're, you know, they're looking in the word. They're like, well, I think the Lord would want us to do this, but they're not sure. In a prayer meeting, somebody reaches into their pocket and pulls out a quarter, and it's a Texas state quarter. And they said, that's it. We're going to Texas. That's the confirmation. Everyone's like, are you sure? You haven't found a job yet, and this and that. They're like, no, we're going. That was the sign. So praise God for the faith they had. There's nothing you know, shameful about the faith at all in that. But, but they, on their own, years later, came back and said, that was not the Lord. That quarter was just a regular quarter. Their, their kids struggled in school to meet anybody, and they were bullied a bit and everything. And, and, and then the parents never found a job, and they went really bad into debt, and they just hated it. And they, they didn't feel like they had to persevere. They're like, I think we just made a bad decision. We should go back to a, everything we know and where we were serving before. And so we can't overemphasize something that might be just a coincidence. Circumstances sometimes are just things that bring us to the point of a decision, not necessarily God guiding us. Here's, uh, here's how John Boykins thinks about it. He wrote a book, really good book, called The Gospel of Coincidence. And here's what he said. We have elevated coincidence to the status of miracle and interpretation of coincidence to gospel. So we're like, we, we, we see a coincidence and we're like, boom, divine appointment, like instantly divine appointment. I believe in divine appointments. They've, they've happened to me a few times in life and I love them. They're awesome. But we, we sometimes declare it. Definitely. This is God telling me to do that. And we talk about it in the same way we say, thus says the Lord. And we're reading scripture. And that's a dangerous thing to do. The scripture is what we can be fully confident in, right? So God works in providential ways, and it's amazing, and he's done that in my life. And sometimes you can read his providence backwards, but it can be dangerous to try and interpret his providence in the moment. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, oh, that's how the last 10 years were all connected with the random hobbies and things I had and how God used all that to prepare me for this moment in my life. So it can be very difficult to interpret these things. Why? Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we cannot be mastered by our circumstances. We just need to evaluate them. Let me tell you a moment where I was going crazy with all this. It was about eight years ago. I was in New Jersey. I lived in a, in a really small house, 30 minutes from the church, 
and the housing market had crashed, and there was a nice house available nine minutes from the church. We knew it was the Lord. Why? Walking distance to Starbucks. We, like, stopped praying at that point. We're like, it's God. All these houses are God's will, right? They're right next to the Starbucks. I can walk to the Starbucks in the snow, right? This is, and so, so we put a low offer in, and it was accepted. And we're like, woo This is God's will. A low offer was accepted. This is God's will, right? One hour before the week-long contract ended, where if another off, um, offer came in, the seller had to like look at it before he had to stay with our offer. One hour before that time, two more offers came in for like $15,000 more than we were paying. We're like, oh no, God's shutting the door. But then we realized in that week we were waiting, the interest rates dropped. And because we were going to be using a, a lower interest rate, the payment would be only like $13 more a month. And that wasn't a big deal. We're like, wait, God is with us again. We were going back and forth thinking, closed door, open door, closed door, open door. And we felt a little crazy because every little thing we were trying to analyze as God's guidance rather than saying, is this just a good decision that, that we want to make that God will allow us to make, right? So don't overemphasize a coincidence. Just evaluate them. Because sometimes they're definitely divine appointments, definitely something God is doing, but other times it's just life. Last question you can ask is this. Have you sought counsel from others? Sometimes when there's something that we want to do, we don't talk about it with anyone else. All of a sudden, everyone just finds out this is the new reality because we don't want to hear anyone's other opinions because this is what we really want to do. But here's what the proverb says about that kind of a heart. Proverbs 18.1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Sometimes we don't talk about the decisions we're making because we already know what we want to do and we don't want to hear it from anybody else. That's not wise. Proverbs 15.22 says, without counsel, right, without asking advice from other people, plans go astray, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Right? And so we don't have to make decisions by ourselves. God has given you parents or spiritual parents or youth leaders and pastors and ministry leaders or great neighbors, right? He's given you the word of God. We don't have to make these decisions by ourselves. We can invite other people into it and say, this is how my heart's feeling. This is what I want to do. What do you think? Is this the right thing to do? As the saying goes, two heads are better than one unless it's your goldfish, you need to flush that two face down the water. If you have a goldfish with two heads, that fair lied to you. They never should have sold it to you. I'm sorry you paid money for it, but if you have a goldfish with two faces, that, that's, a different, that's a different subject. That's just a personal story from my past. But, but in general, two heads are better than one. Listen, get other people involved in the decisions that you're making, right? So here's the cool thing. You can have a big decision in front of you, you, you kind of run your decision through these six questions that honor God because this is what he's revealed in his word. And then you still have to make a decision and you still might have anxiety. You're like, ah, I still can't do this. Someone else decide for me. But here's the cool thing. God's sovereignty removes all the fear and all the pressure in our decision making. It, it removes all of it. We can just make a good decision and trust that God is in control. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, so that means there's a bunch of options. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. If you can't do it to the Lord, maybe it's a bad decision or, you know, a, a, a sinful decision. But if you're, if you're deciding between two great options, whatever you do, 
Do it heartily as to the Lord. Do it with everything that you've got. Let me, let me close with two principles based on God's sovereignty. So the fact that God is sovereign, that means he's, he's powerful and he's in control of everything on this earth. He's not the author of evil, right? So when bad things happen, that's not God's plan to author those things, right? Right, but he is aware of everything that's happening and he is allowing and permitting everything. He's sovereign, he's in control. Two principles based on his sovereignty. Here's the first. God's sovereignty means he will gently overrule you if necessary. If it's really a big deal that you go left instead of right, then as you go right, God's just going to kind of veer you left, right? If he really cares, if he really needs you over there, he can gently overrule you. Proverbs 16, 9 says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step, right? And so we should plan our way. Ask yourself these six questions, pray, wrestle with it, right? And then you plan your way. Okay, this is the direction I'm going. And you plan your way. And then the Lord might shut that door and say, actually, the whole time it was always going to be option B. But he's gentle about it. He doesn't make you feel horrible about it. He's going to direct your steps. Here's how it's said in James chapter 4. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy, sell, make a profit. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we're going to go over there and do this or that. We really should have that in our vocabulary. If the Lord wills, we're going to make this decision. See how that, that passage in James 4 says that our life's a vapor. Right? We, we, our life is really fragile. It was two years ago today exactly that I um, got the news that a precious Bible college student named Jeffrey O'Brien got in a motorcycle accident during the semester and died. His heart just exploded from hitting some cement when he went flying off his motorcycle. And I had to start calling his mom and dad, and they lived out of state, and they had to start getting here. The next morning, I had to hold an emergency chapel. And, and everyone was just somber. The rumor was starting to get out. And, and I got up in front of the pulpit, and I, and I began just to try and tell the students what happened. And I stood there for like three to five minutes, just with tears pouring down my, my face. I mean, it wasn't like the cool manly cry where you're like, You know, it's like a Viking cry. We were like, okay, his leg was cut off. He's allowed to have a couple tears. I was whimpering like a baby, like boogers coming out, just like hor- horrible crying. I know it's hard for you to laugh because we're talking about someone that died. Right? But it was, I, for five minutes, I couldn't get a word out because I was so devastated and I just couldn't do it. Eventually, I literally had to walk off the stage and I pointed to my assistant and he had to get up there with no warning and explain to everyone that, that Jeffrey died. And then later that day, his mom and dad showed up and began to talk to me about their son and how much he loved the Lord. And thank God, we found his journal. You guys are going to be doing TOG, right? Time Alone with God. You're going to be writing down some thoughts in those cool journals that you got about what is your heart towards God and what is God doing in your life. We had that from three days before Jeffrey died. From three days earlier, he wrote a journal entry that was the most passionate heart towards Jesus that I've ever seen. If you want to read it, you can go to intheendjesuswins.com. And and, and you can see, you're like, this guy loved Jesus maybe more than I've ever loved Jesus. Now, I want you to think about life being a vapor and maybe even fast. It hurt me so bad because I'm a dad, right? And just think about getting a phone call like that about your kid. You're supposed to be at Bible college, right? 
And then the gift from God that you get to see that his heart was so perfectly right toward God, towards God because of God's grace and, and work that he was doing in there. That is a treasure that they can hold on to. And even, even yesterday when I was trying to remind the students of how they could read that journal entry, I was fighting back tears two years later. It was the most difficult thing in ministry that I think I've ever had to do. I mean, they, they said, hey, can we, have, can we have your blue hoodie? Because he was wearing that right when he died, and, it, and, and we, want, we want to have him buried in that. I can take that part out of the video. Um, what do you say to a mom who's asking you for that? You say, you say yes, right? But you say, I just we I weeped with these parents for days. Listen, who are we to know what's going to happen next? Who are we to know? You, you might be sitting here thinking like, ah, oh, I'm going to have some fun at this retreat, but I'm not going to take this whole God thing seriously. You need to take this God thing seriously. You need to, not just because you might die, but because the next 15 to 20-something years of your life could be miserable. I have people in my life that I love that are fully addicted to alcohol and drugs, and it's devastating to them, and I love them, right? And they're just stuck in this because they won't yield to Jesus. It's important, guys. This weekend is important. There's so much potential of what God could do. Listen, that was a bit of a sidetrack there, but, but we can make a decision and trust God is in control. He knows when we're going to breathe our last breath, and he knows if we're going to be around today. And so we can make a decision and let him gently overrule us. Here's what it says in Proverbs 11. The integrity of the upright will guide them. If you have integrity, you're going to be guided by God. How does that work out? Well, we have a story where that works out in Genesis 20. I'll just read it to you. God came to Abimelech in a dream. This is after um, Abraham had um, gone down into this city and he told everyone, uh, my wife's actually my sister. That's kind of a complicated thing to say, right? But he's, he thought if everyone knew this was my wife, they're all going to kill me and marry her. So he's like, if I just say she's my sister, they won't kill me. They'll just like take her. And you're like, this, this guy just seems like a bad husband. He was, right? And so this is what's going on. It actually all works out exactly according to his fear. They take his wife and he's like, yeah, she's just my sister. But he thinks, well, at least I'm not dead. This is it's a horrible story in the Bible, but listen. God came to King Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken. She's a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And she even herself said, he's my brother. Listen, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Think about this. This is a, a pagan. This is a person who does not believe in God at all. He's making the best decision he can. He's like, are you telling me that you're not married, but you're this beautiful? And she goes, yep. Uh, yeah, then we're getting married. I'm the king. We're getting married, Right. And for him as the king, he was allowed to do that. He made a decision with integrity, but it wasn't truth. It wasn't a decision even behind the scenes in spiritual ways he couldn't even see. God stops him from sinning with her because he had this integrity in his heart and God intervenes. How much more is God going to intervene in your life if you make a God-honoring decision? You're like, God, I think I should go over here. I think you're putting it in my heart to start a Christian uh, club at school where I can share the good news with other students, but I'm afraid, but I I think you want me to do this. Or God, I think that you want me to go on this missions trip. Or God, I think you want me to, whatever it is, right? 
we can make those decisions and know if we love the Lord, he's going to intervene. We just make the best decision we can with the integrity we have, and God will do the rest. God overruled my life. That house I was trying to buy in New Jersey, that was a good decision. We prayed about it, all kinds of stuff like that. We had good motives about it. But God sovereignly overruled my decision and did something else. It was... I mean, we had literally put our entire house in boxes and we had picked out paint colors the night before at Home Depot and we, had, we the offer was accepted. We were just finalizing the mortgage with the bank and all of a sudden the mortgage guy's like, yeah, you need $10,000 more. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? That came out of nowhere. And so I borrowed $10,000 from a friend. I'll give you his name, Tyler. He's really rich. He gives money out all the time. Don't worry. Just ask him. Don't even feel bad. Listen, I borrowed money from a friend. I call the bank back. They're like, pretty, pretty good friend, but it has to come from a family to prove you don't have to pay it back. And I, I, I literally wrestle with the bank all day. And because I can't find $10,000 randomly, they close my mortgage down and I can't buy the house now. And I'm like, how am I supposed to tell my wife about this? We're like in boxes. So I drive to a pizza place, sitting in a parking lot, about to meet a student to, for discipleship. And my phone rings, and it's the director of the Bible College in California, Dave Shirley. And he says, uh, you know, Andy, what are you doing with your life? I'm like, what are you? Yeah, now, he had asked me twice, two or three times before to fly out for two-week classes, and then I would fly back and get back to my normal life. He goes, what are you doing with your life? I was like, Why you, what do you mean? Why are you saying that? He goes, do you want to move out to California and become the director of the Bible College? I'm like, what? And he goes, Yeah you didn't just buy a house or anything, right? You're free to move. And I was like, why did you say, why did you say you didn't just buy your house? He goes, well, I just figured that'd be really hard to move. I look at my phone. It was 14 minutes earlier that I lost the mortgage and couldn't buy the house anymore. And then he called and said, why don't you move cross country from New Jersey to California? And I told him that. He goes, well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Right? I was like, oh my goodness. God gently overruled this good prayerful decision and said, Andy, I know you think this house is really cool, but I want you in California for the next eight years. One other example of how God gently overruled us, Shannon and I, after having two precious kids, Abigail and Gideon said, that's it. We don't want any more kids. The math didn't work anymore. You know, we couldn't afford like ice cream if we had another kid. So we're like, we can't have another kid. And so, but, but now we have Titus. We're like, how'd that happen? That's a, that's a different workshop. But it's a, listen, we did, not, we did not plan on having Titus, but he is the cutest little three-year-old Lego ninja warrior. He's at Legoland today pretending he was a Ninjago character. I am so happy that God overruled us. And he's like, you're so stupid, Andy. You think you only want two kids? You don't even know about the fun you're going to have with Titus. Last point, listen, God's sovereignty means... Other people cannot ruin God's plan for your life. That's pretty, that's cool. Listen, God's sovereignty means other people cannot ruin your life. Like, yeah, but it feels like they can because they're a big jerk face, right? It seems that they're, they are trying to ruin my life. No, they can't. Listen, remember Joseph said this in Genesis 50? As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What was he talking about? His brothers threw him into a pit and sold him to a horrible country and then told their dad, he's dead. That was, the, that was his family structure. You think you have a bad family? That was his family structure, right? And he's able to look later as he's helping to rule Egypt in God's plan and say, God meant it for good. So listen, 
if that can happen in that scenario, imagine for you, if you're trying to make a good decision, God is going to work with you and other people can't ruin it. It doesn't matter if you're like, I'm going to make this decision to do this. And then you think somebody else is trying to slander you or, or steal something from you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. L- listen, one last, one last story. My wife was dating um, someone. This is really difficult to tell you really cool stories when it's re- being recorded, isn't it? But um, uh, my wife was um, dating someone, great person, I'm sure. And man, the stories, you're going to take it off, right? You got me? All right. All right. Here's a, so she's dating this pastor kid. <laughs> he's like, a, the pastor is a friend of ours. That's why it's really uncomfortable, right? So she's dating a pastor's kid. So she's thinking, oh, he's got to be a good guy, right? He's a pastor's kid. A bunch of, he's a jerk, right? <laughs> so they're dating. This, the, the, the dad and mom of this guy are like, Shannon, you need to like find a different boy. Our son is, you're too good for our son. Like you sh- he's a bum, you know? And she's like, oh, you're just kidding. They're like, we're not kidding, right? <laughs> like, man, something's going on. Uh, just just a month or so after that, my wife's best friend steals her boyfriend. Literally, all of a sudden, boop, they're kissing. And she's like, I thought we were kissing, right? But it's, that's not me. <laughs> she's devastated. It's like a Judas Iscariot kind of moment where you're like, ah, knife and back, right? It's like the whole church takes her side. The whole church is like, I mean, his side. The whole church is like, well, I mean, you probably broke up before that, whatever. And she's like, what are you talking about? No, they just were kissing all of a sudden. And she was devastated. She had bitterness in her heart, bitterness in her heart. When I met her just like six months or so after that, she had bitterness in her heart. It was one of the things she was you know, telling me about. But she had allowed God to minister forgiveness in her heart in a way where if she didn't allow God to do that forgiveness in her heart, she never would have gone to the youth conference in the same church she was thinking, I should just go to a different church. This is too awkward. But she stayed in the youth ministry, faithfully served. We both end up at a youth conference together and meet each other. And now we've been married for 12 years. And she's like, I'm really glad that person stabbed me in the back, right? Because this is the life that I think God has for me. So listen, I'll close with this. For real, you can even close your notebooks. I'm so serious. Oh, man. This is the serious as I've ever been. Here's my last, my last point. This comes from a great book called Just Do Something. God is not a magic eight ball we shake up and peer into whenever we have a decision to make. He's a good God who gives us brains and shows us the way of obedience. He invites us to take risks for him. God has a plan for our lives, and that's wonderful. The problem is we think he's going to tell us that wonderful plan in advance before it unfolds. We feel like we can know and need to know what God wants every step of the way, but such preoccupation with finding God's will, as well-intentioned as the desire may be, is more folly than freedom. The better way is the biblical way. Seek first the kingdom of God and then trust that he's going to take care of your needs even before you know what they are and where you're going. You can trust God with your lives. And if you came here this weekend because a friend invited you, invited you and you're like, it doesn't seem like a cult, so I'll go have some fun you know, during the weekend and it, so- it sounds like it'll be cool. Listen, God has you here for a reason and you can trust God with your lives and we're gonna get to know God more this weekend. And I, I, I'm telling you, you can trust him with your life. And if you're a backslidden Christian who's just kind of faking it at youth group, it's, it's really easy to like fake out your parents. Like you shouldn't be like super proud, like, oh wow, I'm sinning, my parents don't know about it. Like it's easy to fake out your parents, but listen, God sees everything, and don't think about that in a judgmental way where you're just terrified that he's going to get... He has such a good plan for your life, and you're resisting it. You're resisting it because you think it isn't cool, 
or you think it's going to be boring, or you think it's going to be embarrassing. It's not true. That's a lie from the serpent. It's a lie from the enemy of your soul. And my prayer is this weekend, you're going to realize that and just radically follow after the Lord. Even if it's like way more than your parents follow after the Lord, and like you're reading your Bible and your parents aren't reading your Bible, that's okay. You can follow after the Lord no matter what's going on in your life. So Father, would you please help us to do that? Lord, I know I went a little long tonight, Lord, but I just pray that you would You'd grab a hold of our hearts this weekend. And Lord, even in this, this closing worship song, Lord, would you, would you speak to our hearts? Lord, you can do that. You're God. You can, your Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts during a worship song. Lord, you can speak to our hearts as we're having fun singing to you, as we're serious singing to you, whatever it is, Lord. We want you to continue to get messages to our hearts. So help us to begin to be um, open to that, Lord. So I pray for each student that they would be uh, willing to talk this through with their, their counselors and their cabin leaders tonight, that they'd be willing to say, yeah, I'm not really serious about the Lord, but I want to be. What should I do? And Lord, would you begin those conversations tonight as you already have in our hearts privately? Help us to talk about those things publicly. So we look forward to what you're going to do this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.